Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm super excited about today's episode. Today's guest is a creative problem solver with expertise in employee engagement and is a certified change management professional. He's currently the senior manager of organizational change management at Sony Pictures Entertainment. Please welcome Samvel Lazarev. Hello, Samvel. Hello, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for joining today. And we're going to start as we always do. I'd like to get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Sure, absolutely. Um, I see it just in sort of putting it in the context of what we've just been through, right? In terms of uh, the, the pandemic, one, one of the biggest things that has happened is the great resignation, right? And so for me, uh, the way I look at that is from, from a challenge perspective is how agile will the leadership and organizations be in terms of the takeaway from this great resignation, right? We've seen frontline workers impacted and, and leaving at scale, uh, you know, office work, desk workers as well, just, just across the spectrum, there's been this huge thing. So for me, there are numerous takeaways, right? Um, you know, we can have from a leadership perspective, from an organizational perspective in terms of, well, why did that happen, right? What, what were those specific challenges that frontline workers were having that led them in a pandemic of all things to say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done, right? And so, you know, for me, the way I look at it, it's, it, it says a lot about what is happening with, with cultures and with organizations. And, and um, so, so to me, you know, one of the key things I think I've kind of seen in, in general through the years, and I think this, the great resignation kind of puts it in the forefront. And I'm sensitive to this a little bit because of my role. So a lot of times from an organizational leadership perspective, the ask of the employees is for them to be agile and to adopt to the changes that we're putting on to them, so to speak. Um, but how, in, in terms of the reverse, from an organization perspective, in terms of leadership perspective, what's interesting to me is as we come out of this great resignation in the pandemic, how agile will leadership be in understanding what were what led to this? And what are some fundamental changes that the leadership will, will do and organizations will do? How will cultures change and this kind of stuff? So I see that sort of leadership level agility as, as the biggest challenge and specifically sort of tying that to the great resignation. What are the number of things that, that organizations will do uh, to fundamentally change things? So you don't go back to the old ways again, because clearly there was a message being sent uh, from, from frontline workers and employees across the board of there's a tremendous level of unhappiness, unfortunately, um, that leads people to, to make these kinds of big shifts at scale. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting to, to hear you talk about um, leadership and perhaps their difficulty with dealing with agility, which is interesting because if you think about it, most of the corporate communications about agility is coming from leadership, right? And yes. so, it, 
you're making me realize it's it's a bit uh, perhaps um, hypocritical when we talk so much about uh, from a corporate culture standpoint, wanting to lead businesses that can be more agile, that can be more flexible and nimble and, and deal with the marketplace. But perhaps internally, we're not demonstrating that same agility. Is that essentially what you're pointing to? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, uh, it's never all or nothing, right? You're going to have leaders who do this in phenomenal ways and demonstrate that in phenomenal ways. But but I think at the same time, th- there's a lot where where that doesn't happen, right? And and we've all seen that. And then to your point, in terms of demonstrating it, um, you know, it, it can't be. It, you know, do as I say and, and not as I do kind of thing in, in the real world, right? Because the fact is employees are looking at leaders and seeing what are the behaviors that they're demonstrating, right? What is it that they're asking of us? And, and, and what is it that we, we, we see them doing from a behavior, a behavior and, and, and practice perspective, et cetera. So that, that authenticity that, that you're, you're touching on, it's so important. I mean, that, that can't be emphasize enough, right? The, the only way to have really a consistent, strong, sustainable culture is that there has to be authenticity. So the, the highest level leaders at the executive level, they have to demonstrate that if they want agility way down the chain, there has to be some demonstration of agility at the very top. Otherwise, people disconnect very quickly once they realize that there's kind of some level of hypocrisy or something. And then it has to sort of happen even at all management levels, right? Because as you know, um, the, the most important, especially, is the direct supervisor. So that whatever the culture or the characteristics are that, that you want to, to sort of be embedded in, the, in your culture, it needs to start at the highest level and at all management levels, middle management, lower management level, and then you have a shot of having a better culture as your frontline workers and everyone is, is looking to you to see, okay, wh- what do we do? But w- once you have disconnect and too many disconnect, um, it's just words on paper, right? We've all seen almost every organization, this is another thing, Justin, right? Almost every organization has spectacular, um, you know, uh, principles, right? But but in practice, when sometimes you look at it, you're like, wow, how many of these principles are truly being practiced? And it's really a day in and day out thing as well. I mean, organizations have to do this on a week to be basis and also be creative. And how do you keep that alive? Given that, you know, it, it could become anything that's consistent can easily become monotonous, monotonous. But how do you keep that alive in, in creative ways so that you continue to demonstrate it? And then you you also have that same expectations uh, of your staff and frontline workers. Yeah. You didn't use this, this word exactly. But when you talked about authenticity, uh, a topic that has been discussed on, on the podcast several times before is trust. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like those words are, uh, they're not the same, but they're somewhat interchangeable, I think, in terms of their intent, right? We, there has to be trust established in the culture between the men and women on the front lines and all the leadership that are affecting their livelihood. Yeah, affecting them to be able to absorb that change. You know, we, listen, I'm a technologist and I spent a lot of my day thinking about, you know, software and, and technology and, and all the ways we're gonna solve problems through technology. But at the end of the day, if we don't have authentic relationships and if we don't have trust with the men and women that are going to be affected by this, then none of that stuff's going to really matter. 100%, Justin. I mean, as you're seeing that, the way I'm kind of envisioning is, is you have trust, right? But to gain that trust, 
you have these layers of things that need to be practiced to gain that trust. So to your point in connecting it to authenticity, yes, authenticity is one of the key things that gets people to have trust, right? Um, proper communication um, and, and action, right? That come out of those communications, right? Whatever is actionable needs to kind of reflect um, what you're communicating, right? So, so the actions, and, and the authenticity that leads to trust and on and on and on. So, so absolutely, there, there are definitely some layers to these things. Um, and perhaps this is why sometimes even executives get executive coaching, right? To understand, like, I want them to trust me, but sometimes the skills, the specific tangible skills are not quite there. Um, and so, so those are things people just pick up, um, you know, over time and, and there are specific ways in which to do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, that's fantastic. I'm glad you took us down that path. And I, I want to come back to a couple of the things um, that you talked about there in terms of specifically one of the things that's standing out is the the importance of the direct supervisor. But I'd like to table that for a minute. I'd like to uh, get a chance to know you and, and have you introduce yourself uh, a little bit more to our audience. So why don't you take us back a couple of steps and, and tell us how you ended up dealing with digital transformation and, and change management and culture? How did this uh, end up being part of your career? Sure. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. Maybe they're like, I think as I look at it, they're sort of key, three key areas, sort of with my background in terms of the third one being change management. I would say the first one is from a formal education perspective, Justin, I, you know, I studied English literature for my undergrad as well as my grad. And the reason I, I mentioned that is I always had this love of language and word. I think it just came from my dad, right? He always pushed like just reading, um, not, not in an assertive way, just like you guys should always read. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing, what it'll do to your mind and imagination, et cetera. So, um, so it's something that I always, uh, you know, uh, that the, my dad always pushed, but um, so in studying English literature, I just found this love for the language and, and ideas and thoughts and, and, and storytelling and emotion, all of the things that are entailed in, in great writing. And the reason I mentioned that is that ultimately um, kind of led me to do communications, which was really what I started doing with, with my uh, career. You know, did a, a little bit of marketing and these types of things, but ultimately really got into, for most of my career, into employee communications, right? And um, for those unfamiliar, small companies typically don't tend to have that. But as you become a larger organization, you got to figure out how to engage the employees in, in a strategic way that makes sense, that's aligned, and et cetera, et cetera. So I spend a lot of time doing that. But what happened over time is um, as, as I started doing communications, this thing called organizational change management started coming up. And um, as you think strategically from a communication perspective, you really start getting into this thinking of organizational change management, right? Because um, you start thinking, well, why do we need to do, you know, how do we engage, what's the best way and, and, and who's really impacted, et cetera, et cetera. So as, as I started doing that as a communications professional, I started thinking, man, I'm, I'm thinking more and more like a change management person. And as I did that, I thought, I really wanna broaden out sort of how I'm engaging organizations above and beyond communications, but look at it even more broadly from an overall organizational perspective. And, so I thought there was a certain element of challenge that comes with, with change management that I wanted to embrace. And I thought there are all kinds of things, right? As you know, at this point, there are groups that are called like Office of Transformation, right? Their whole point is looking at big transformative efforts at organizations. So that kind of enticed me, uh, even with all the challenges, I thought, you know, this is something I think I want to 
go down this, this path and, in, and embrace it. And I see all kinds of opportunities there in terms of doing my part to, to help look at transformations in, in a strategic way. And, and, and I still get to leverage communications because it's such a big part of change management, but then you get to do some other things that are unique to, to change management. Yeah. So when you were going to school and, and getting degrees in English literature, what were your expectations about where that would take you in your career? You know, I'm one of those people, like there are people who have definite goals and they're right. So I'm somewhere in the middle. Like I kind of had some goals, but, but not really. And so at that time, I wanted to really do something I, I enjoyed. I, I felt like that was just important in life, even though people are like, what are you going to do with an English major? And then I realized over time, that's actually a myth. Like there are plenty of executives who have liberal arts degrees. And in fact, some studies show um, most of the, 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 the high level leaders are um, from liberal arts backgrounds. Um, so either way you can have success, but my thing was I'm gonna do what feels right to me. So I did some business courses and these types of things early on in my, in my college um, time. And I thought, I, I think I'm gonna go with what really you know, uh, appeals to me. So in terms of your question, what was I thinking? So that was kind of the high level, do what I like, but then I thought I can leverage that in different ways. So I kind of had a few different ideas. A couple of them was one was reporting. I thought I love storytelling. I love language. And, and really, even though people see the, the, the news as quote unquote, the news, right. But really when you talk to reporters, they see themselves as writers and storytellers because before something airs on the radio or TV, it's written out, right? Everything. So, so I learned early on, I did some internships with uh, uh, some, some stations and found out early on, like, if you want to do reporting, you're basically a writer. This is your number one thing. So you got to hone in on that writing skill, but for different reasons, I was like, I'm not sure if I want to chase people for a story. Like I, I just kind of thought this is not my thing. Yeah. Then um, the second big thing I thought about, which is why I went to grad school, I thought, what if I could be a professor? Like <laughs> I can live and breathe literature. This will be my life. Um, you know, so that appealed to me. But over time, I did work for about a year as a grad student. They let you teach and this kind of stuff. I, I For different reasons, I kind of realized it's perhaps not my thing, right? You have like these visions and fantasies of what things are. And sometimes the reality is very different. And then the way I ended up in this communications thing is it was around the dot-com time, right? Every, like I, I had undergraduates friend even, even when I was in grad school going to Silicon Valley and doing technical writing and communications for all these dot-com companies in, in the in the in the Silicon Valley and making a good living and and I was like this is a thing like you can just you know do these things for for corporations so that's what led me down this path of, of doing communications and writing and then over time as organizational change management became a thing I thought oh what an interesting thing to look at an organization from from a strategic perspective in terms of how to manage and drive change and and what's interesting with that is you could get involved in all kinds of change efforts, right? Like there's culture changes where you're revisiting your visions and your missions and you want to sort of redo your culture a little bit and have people align to a different direction. And then you can get very technical. As you know, a lot of change management is implementing technology solutions, right? That's a whole other thing. And, and usually it's a mix of things, right? You're kind of trying to do multiple change efforts at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. 
think it's really interesting, actually, talking about the reporters and, and kind of the state of, of the news business today. You know, it's really a shame because you're absolutely right. A reporter is essentially a writer and has to be a good interviewer. Um, mm-hmm. But so much of what we see in media today is really about the headlines so that we'll click on something. And, and that's not an indictment on the, the reporters themselves. It's just the nature of that business, um, which is really unfortunate, right? Yeah. I think it lowers the quality of the product that we all get because we're, you know, they're driven by getting us to click on a headline. So that's probably a whole tangent that we don't need to go down on frontline computer. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting that you made that statement. And the, the other thing that it, it kind of struck me as I, I heard you describing that journey is the importance of communication in everything that we do. And I, I feel like I'm Captain Obvious on the show, right? I, I know some of the insights that I have. It's like, duh, of course, that's, that's important. But I think um, I'm not embarrassed to admit that I think I and maybe others overlook some of the basics. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really simple. Uh, to solve this. I don't think it's easy. I think the difference is, is that this isn't a complicated formula to do a better job of communicating about major transformations, but I don't think that it's easy. We have to be deliberate and thoughtful about how we go about doing that. And if I've learned one thing over the 50 or so episodes that we've done on the show is that many of us and many of the the companies that we've served and, and worked around have missed an opportunity to improve the outcomes from their digital transformation initiatives, not because the technology didn't work, not because the idea wasn't worth pursuing or investing in, but because it was just a a poor, incomplete job of communicating about that change, the what, the why, the how, and how it's going to affect me and all the other people there that's led to less success than would otherwise have been possible. Absolutely. I'd say a couple of things to that, Justin. You know, there's there's someone I follow on social media and one of the things he, he says, is the soft skills, the soft skills are the hard skills, yeah. right? And I think that, that that's what you're, you're, you're touching on. It may seem obvious, but, but the second thing I would say to that, why it's hard, it goes back to something I had mentioned before from a leadership perspective, which is consistency. And that's the hard part, right? Um, I think even one time they had asked, you know, Tiger Woods, what, what, Tiger Woods, what makes a great golfer and, you know, versus a, a good golfer, right? And I believe his answer was something to the effect of consistency, right? Everyone, not everyone, but but a lot of people could have a good game, but can you do it over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, right? That's what, that to him, that's what makes greatness. So that's what I would say in response to, to your, your, your thing about, well, as a leader, some of these things, you know, they may seem obvious, but in practice, they're not always executed. And that's the tough part is, consistency like and it, it also comes down to having great teams right obviously or, or around the leaders who aren't afraid to be honest I think that's something that's sometimes lacking as well yep. right there's a certain fear in corporate cultures unfortunately at every level and I think that causes people sometimes not to be as authentic and transparent as as they should be even if Sometimes, I, you know, you see this where literally one of the principles and values of an organization is transparency, and yet it, it doesn't happen because there's a certain fear factor that's put in place a lot of times. And I think, um, you know, the, the more leaders could do to sort of, uh, you know, reduce that, I think that the better they'll have teams to, to be transparent, say, this communication isn't working, like, or, you know, what's a smart way to help coach an executive um, you know, to, to better enable them to be successful in engaging, engaging with the staff. 
Yeah. You know, you mentioned, so in that last statement, you talked about executives and, and their leadership style, but earlier in the conversation, you, you talked about the frontline managers. And I'd like to circle back around to that because I, I think that's something that um, it, it's come up a few times in the show. And as it's come up on the show, it has caused me to uh, turn my, my glance a little bit more in some of our customer engagements to how things are going with leadership on the front line. So leadership isn't just something that has, you know, a VP in front of their title, but leadership should exist, you know, at all levels throughout the organization. And perhaps one of the most impactful levels of leadership is that actual leadership on the front lines. And one thing that's becoming a little bit more clear to me is that those men and women that are frontline uh, leaders, their title may be supervisor or manager, but they have perhaps one of the most important roles, and yet mm -hmm. they've received probably the least amount of training. And I, you know, in terms of, um, you know, coaching, they like they haven't had as much coaching on being uh, an effective leader, and yet they are essentially on the front lines with the with the men and women mm -hmm. on the front lines, right? I'm just curious about how we can solve for that a little bit better. And from an OCM perspective, are there things that we can be doing better to arm them with the information and the skills and, and coaching so that they can help in enable the, the change to happen through better communication and leadership? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you're seeing that, Justin, to, to me, the answer was in the question, right, which was arm them with the right tools, right? Yeah. Um, and, and do that on a regular basis, right? I was saying consistency, you know, it's probably not enough, like every couple of years, send them to some, to watch something online, like an HR video, right? I see this all the time, like they, they send managers. So I think, you know, part of it is, um, I would say more, uh, more consistent coaching. This is something I rarely see, to be honest, like, the, the, those frontline supervisors could learn from the supervisors above them. But how often do you see just very effective coaching that's consistent? Like maybe we talk about this every few months, every couple of months, or, or maybe it's one of those cultures where it's embedded. So every time you have a meeting, you sort of sprinkle a little bit of nugget, right, um, on, on those supervisors. So I think people like to learn, but it's also got to be done in the right way, not like you're not doing this right but just being super sensitive of, of how to do that. So I think that's one. The second thing is making sure that those people see what the, the folks above them do, right? So it, they should have some visibility to, you know, what have the folks above them been doing and, and what can they learn? So basically if the behavior above them um, is it's not quite aligned with the culture and, and the principles that are, that are written down, but, but in practice it's not happening, probably that person's not going to pick up good habits as well. So I think it's really demonstrating at all levels. So this is why to me, one of the things whenever, you know, I work with cultures and they're like, we want to do this, we want to do this. One thing I hone in on, and, and a lot of times it's not done very well, is specifically looking at the behaviors. What are the behaviors that you're expecting from all your leaders and how can we demonstrate that? Because the key is everyone has to demonstrate that. And then if you demonstrate that as a leader at different levels, then, you know, the, the frontline workers will, will pick up on that as well. So, um, so those are a few things I think you can put in and it, it, it should never be 
uh, sort of one dimensional, right? Almost any change effort should be looked at sort of from a multi-pronged perspective. And so in that case, should you have some kind of formal programs with HR on how to engage and, and continuously engage and, and teach your uh, managers? Yes. But then more, more than likely, that's probably going to be a once-year thing, which is not enough to me. <clears throat> so then um, what do you have from a weekly perspective? What are the behaviors that maybe they can mimic that they can see another thing? So let's define that. But then in practice, how do we put in behaviors um, and, and sort of demonstrate that on a regular basis? This is what, what, what's key. And I'll tell you, I was at an organization, just, just one example, where the CEO would talk about what he would see uh, you know, on, on the campus in terms of people's behaviors, whenever there would be a quarterly all, all hands, he would say, this is what I saw happening. You know, or someone else who saw the CEO uh, doing something, maybe a, another manager uh, uh, or a leader who's speaking at the all hands would say, you know, I saw the CEO doing this with, with this person on, on campus. So really showing these, these, these stories, um, really helps out, right? So I, I, I think storytelling is another thing like you, you can underestimate. Are there stories that could be shared as one of the tactics to, to get people to understand how you guys are behaving, right? So there, 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 there are multiple ways where you can demonstrate that and you can't underestimate the power of storytelling. It, it really gets people to go, oh, this is, Justin did this, right? Besides you just telling people, it's like someone saying, you know what, I saw Justin do this with the client or I saw Justin do this with an employee, et cetera. Yeah, it's really interesting that you, you just talked about that. It, it, something that was coming to my mind is this idea of, I don't know of a better phrase, but almost like bi-directional empathy, right? It's not mm -hmm. just that people um, and other elements of the corporation need to be empathetic to the men and women on the front lines, but we need to help the men and women on the front lines have some empathy and greater understanding for what the other folks in the organization are doing as well. A lot of times when we ask them to change their behavior, it's because we're trying to get some better performance. We might be trying to track inventory better or raise prices or increase margins or do some other things in the organization that they may not necessarily see and understand and how the things that they do impacts everybody else in the organization. And I think even in a relatively small company uh, like ours, we're starting this week, um, we have a monthly all hands and we're starting this week to do an employee spotlight where we're gonna go around the entire team over the course of many months and have each person introduce their role, what they do, what value they bring to the customer. Because I found even in a relatively small uh, team of ours, with less than 20 people on our core team, um, there's still even some confusion about what each other's role is. So as that expands into hundreds or thousands of people in your organization and a lot of the people that are listening that work in organizations with tens of thousands of people, I think understanding yeah. to the extent that's possible what the others in the organization are doing and how the things that I do impacts them and the things that they're doing impacts me, I think that's hugely important. Absolutely. I, I, it's so important what, what you guys are doing. So I, I applaud you for doing that, Justin. I think the other thing that does is kind of this unspoken thing, but it creates an, a next level of connectivity with the staff, right? Because you not only are you highlighting, which you're kind of reinforcing this idea, like we care about you and you know we want to hear about your successes or your challenges or whatever the highlights are, but at the same time, 
you know, those watching this individual are kind of getting a little bit of, of um, this connection, like, oh, I'm hearing XYZ person speak about XYZ. And, and just even the fact that they're being highlighted, right? There, there is something um, where I saw in one of the communications where, where different members of a project were, were highlighted, not just leadership. And the response with some of the folks who are on the project was like, oh my goodness, um, they're recognizing us. And it seemed like it seems like a small thing, right? But the fact that they were highlighted in the communication and being thanked for their contribution, it's it's it was the biggest thing. So, uh, so so I think that that's a great idea. And I would say the one thing I would say is think of different ways of changing it up as well. So it's not always very predictable in terms of the question you're asked. This one particular, you know, each employee that right. there's there's some variety, but some level of consistency. Um, and like I said, maybe if there's some storytelling, like maybe there's some niche you can have, like, can you tell us a story about XYZ? That way you give them a, a sort of a wide net in terms of what they want to do, but that you get them to say some story, which people typically connect very, very well to stories. Yeah, I agree, actually. And I was going to take us down that path. I, I wanted you to tell us some stories, perhaps, about a digital transformation initiative that you've been a part of. And I'd love for us to, to just dig into that as a, as a bit of a case study. And again, you don't need to share any proper names with us of the people or the companies or anything, but I'd just love to hear, you know, an example of perhaps a digital transformation when you feel that you're, you had impact uh, in, you know, the outcome. And I'd love to just hear some of the, the best practices and, and maybe even some of the, the lessons learned uh, from maybe some things that didn't go so well. So what, what comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I mean, we, I, I worked at a couple of healthcare organizations and I think one of them um, so, sort of, I have in mind where we, we did a, a fairly big transformation um, in terms of what, what went well, um, you know, we had more or less proper resourcing. So I think that's sometimes um, uh, a challenge in change efforts. I think organizations tend to not recognize what, it takes from a change management team perspective to deploy a proper change and transformative effort, right? So I think I, I think agree. that's the one thing, uh, you know, that that was done well. In terms of, um, you know, the, the challenge, and, and there's a lot of good teamwork. We had both internal resources, uh, you know, outside resources as well. I think in terms of lessons learned, you know, th things that could be done better. I think some of the resource, we could have had better resourcing internally. What happens when you bring in consultants, right? That, that knowledge goes away immediately because their focus, this is the one distinction, not just at this one particular organization. I've kind of seen this at other organization. You know, consultants, their job is to deploy the change, right? But what I notice is very often they don't think about the culture. One, during it, they're, they're not as mindful of the culture element of it. As the full-time people, they're thinking implementation, right? Whereas someone like me who's internal, and I've done consulting as well, so, so I get both sides. But whereas the internal folks like me, I'm, I'm often thinking, well, what does this do to the culture? Like if we, let's say, hypothetically, you can sort of just bulldoze over a culture and implement a change and you're done. So technically you're successful because you're done. But what, what damage have you left? because of pushing too much within a culture that may be qu not quite aligning with what, what you're doing. So I think um, that's, a, that's a key key thing. 
The other thing is I've seen from a challenge perspective at this particular implementation and, and perhaps some others is more thought put into post-implementation world. Uh, so specifically, I notice a lot of times projects are budgeted for the project resource. They don't budget what the resource is going to look like because you may need more or less resources. So let's say hypothetically, you need more resources for whatever reasons, because this group may be reduced, but this group is needs to increase because things have changed, whatever it is. But I, I've noticed a lot of times organizations, they budget for the project. It's like, well, are you working with the departments to budget for future changes and headcounts and practices and pro et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that post go live world is something that I can't emphasize enough because in the change management world, right, you're not successful unless you're able to sustain the change long-term, right? So we don't look at change management as the implementation phase uh, exclusively. We say, okay, that's what happens there, but the, you're successful if this change is sustainable. And for me, I broaden that out. It's not just that particular change, but whatever culture you want to be um, sort of embedded or sustained post go live because a lot of times Justin it's not uncommon for there to be a little bit of I, I don't want to say damage but a little bit of damage done to cultures with big implementations yes. because they're so big the cost is so much there's a certain level of intensity you're bringing all these resources a lot of times there are a lot of outside resources coming into internal resources sometimes the outside resources the consultants are telling the internal people what to do. That's not taken well all the time. I've been on the on that end of it as well, where I was told, do this, do that. I'm like, that does not align with, what, with our culture. Like, how can we do it better? So I basically had to fight to try to get our culture to be factored in into this, into this change effort, not just bulldozing over us and saying, you gotta do it this way. It's like, because once the consultants leave, the managers are left, the full-time manager, the staff managers are left with the repercussions of, oh boy, we got to clean this up a little bit because that was quite intense, right? Big projects are intense. So there's almost an extra expectation leaders should, should have of themselves, which is how do we maintain a good culture coming out of this intense implementation? I think one of the things that you just said, I think is perhaps the most impactful thing to digital transformation initiatives that ultimately are less successful than they could have been. And that is the project mindset of digital transformation initiatives. These projects often are run by IT teams and the PMO. Projects by definition have a start and an end, but the initiative or the spirit of the initiative should be indefinite. And so there's like this disconnect between what we're trying to do. We're trying to change the company. We're trying to transform how we interact with customers or our employees or our accounting system or whatever the case may be. And so that's a long-term vision that goes above and beyond any time-bound uh, project plans, right? But the way we actually go about implementing those projects is by project, right? We've got a project charter. We've got a start date. We've got an end date. We've got resources that are assigned that roll off after the end of that project. And I think it damages the potential. I think it damages the initiative period, but I also think it undermines the, the long-term value of what could otherwise be seen from that transformational initiative. Absolutely. I just solve that. Like, I don't, I don't know who wrote the rules on this. I'd like to have a conversation with him or her, but this, like this approach has got to change. We've, we've, 
I'm, I'm very uh, passionate about this topic because we deal with this in, in our business uh, every day where there's a disconnect between kind of even the funding mechanism of should this project be funded out of IT? Should it be funded out of quote unquote the business, right? Where is this ultimately going to be funded? And oftentimes the answer is different for the initial project than it is for the sustain or the ongoing you know, care and feeding of that, uh, that initiative. Absolutely, so, Justin. It's, it's broken. We got to figure out a better way to do that. I'm it sorry. is. And, and what's interesting too, Justin, is if, you know, I agree with you 100%. And, and what's unfortunate is when you don't do, let's say one project right, it actually hurts your future projects. Yes. And I've been on the receiving end of that where I was tasked with leading a change effort on a particular project. And then, you know, I would develop relationships with some of the staff members and they would tell me like, been there, done that. We know that we've we've heard these promises. We see how they've done it before. Like there are scars, right? That your employees have when you do things incorrectly. And so when you're doing your future projects, those scars are there. And now already on a regular change, you have certain level of reservations because people kind of want to go about their days and now you're pushing them to learn new processes, et cetera, right? Some may be excited, but a a lot of times people are not that excited. So on top of that sort of baseline challenge that you have getting people to adopt, you have all the scars. And the more you do projects incorrectly and not sensitive to the impact of the culture at that time of the implementation and post-implementation, the more you make yourself, you know, sort of face additional challenges going forward. And I, I've seen that firsthand. It, it's unfortunate, but, but it's, it's a reality. So do you have the cheat code in how to solve this problem for going from this kind of project mindset and under planning for the sustained phase of a solution and that transition between IT and the business? I mean, any advice you can offer us? You know, I mean, the one thing I would say just at a high level, Justin, is, and this is a common problem. So if you can fix this, I think you're on your way. Get change management people involved early. So for example, typically someone like me as a change lead, I will be brought in once the project has been decided, the scope has been decided, it's been budgeted already, right? It's been budgeted. So I don't even have a chance to say, well, what about post go live? Like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? What about for the implementation? Are you resourced properly? You don't know how many times I've seen change management be resourced uh, incorrectly and then they, they, they're running around to try to see how much cushion there is in the budget during the project to see if there could be additional resources brought in. So if you can think about it, think about the change management effort like we're talking about. You seem very open to all of this, which, which is phenomenal, Justin. And, and that's a big thing as well, by the way. A lot of leaders, I think, don't quite understand the nuances, which you're getting because you're talking to a lot of pe people in this field uh, with your podcast. But I think if that's addressed early on, so if you have clients, like making sure that's addressed early on. And so if you come in by the, and everything is budgeted and the resources are determined, the org structure is set up and you're like, help us implement this now. It's like, you know what? Now it's a challenge because what if I, I thought you need three people or four people and you budgeted for half a resource, let's say, right? Um, and people underestimate the effort, right? We touched on this earlier. They don't realize what robust effort training takes to do properly or change management or even communication. Sometimes you go, oh, like we just, let's get one resource to communicate. Sometimes that's another thing people don't understand. Like for some people communicating is, okay, now that we're, 
you know, a quarter through the project, we need to communicate, which is typically they think send an email. Whereas someone like me, I think, well, okay, so who are your stakeholders? And what are the best ways to engage these different stakeholders? Well, email isn't good for all of these people. Like, let's say the frontline workers, what avenues do we have to engage them? What's the time factor so that we can bake in some kind of reinforcing messages? That's like, there's so many things. So I think the answer to your question is somehow get embedded early. Think about change management early. Um, and then, it, and then you're there because obviously the nuances are going to vary so much at organizations. But I think if you have a, an OCM person, at least they will get you guys to think about some of these things and then go, okay, let, let's think about your stakeholders. Let's think about the proper channels. Let's think about post-go-live, pre-go-live, all of it. If we could broadcast this podcast from the rooftops, that would be the quote that we should be broadcasting to, to everyone, which is don't wait until things have already gone awry. Don't wait until you're already backed up, you know, or painted yourself into a corner. You should be engaging you know, either folks from the OCM team, or you should engage change management professionals internally, externally, to be helping to really, uh, you know, chart that path from the earliest phase in the project. And if yeah. you're not, I would say this to any business leaders who are listening to this, if you are not able to fund that strategic element of your project planning, you shouldn't do the project because you're setting yourself up to either fail or at a minimum, be less successful than your vision statement for your initiative would otherwise lead you Absolutely. To. I'll tell you, I was on a big implementation, Justin, where um, I was brought in initially, you know, for a few months is what they budgeted, three to six months, come in, put together a toolkit, so to speak, the strategy, and then hand it to the client, and then they just take it from there. I ended up being on that project for two years through the implementation, what they didn't know is what it takes to do change management. And it wasn't as simple as tell us what to do and then we'll do it. I think they realized, no, we need someone to do it. And our people quite wouldn't know what to do, even if they had the toolkit, right? It's like giving someone a manual on how to fly a jet right? and then saying, okay, you guys should be good to go. It's like, they haven't flown a jet. Like a manual is not going to just get them to fly a jet, right? So- so um, th there's a disconnect. Again, this is where I think part of it is just people don't know what they don't know. Right. So I think education, that's another sort of tool. Justin, you were talking about some of the, the list of tools. One of them is, you know, people very often are open. Leadership is open to learning. So one of the things I do sometimes, if I realize the leadership doesn't know, I'll just kind of like put nuggets of knowledge out there and see if they can sort of start understanding what, what we're trying to do. And typically once they do, that's where, right, as the mind expands, then they, they say it typically doesn't close again, right? So once people understand, um, you, you're likely to get support. So that's one thing I would say is think of sort of the soft education, right? It doesn't have to be a formal education, but as you're talking to people, like how can you share experiences and stories and get them to understand a little bit like why change management is what it is and why it's important. Yeah. Well, to the folks that are listening, you can share this podcast with some of your uh, your colleagues. And, and hopefully, I mean, this is really why we've brought Frontline Innovators together to have this exact type of conversation where we can help share with others who may not have been able to make the case for making these proper investments on the front end, 
but to understand all of the down, downstream implications from kind of underinvesting on the front side of these projects. And I have said on more than one occasion, you know, just to repeat what I said before, if you can't make these investments, if you if your budget can't afford these investments on the front end, then you should really reconsider the ROI on your project. Because if, if you can't get enough return to make these proper investments up front, you're going to pay for it in one way or another. You're going to pay for it doing it right. Or you're going to pay for it many times over doing it wrong. And so this is the time before you embark on that project to really think through what that sustain is going to look like and, and how you're going to go on this journey to really ensure success. Absolutely. And Justin, another great tactic I was thinking as you were saying that is a, a simple tactic is just questions. Like rather than telling them what to do is asking, so how do you plan on you know, getting people engaged? It's like, hmm, hadn't thought about it. It's like, this is where the discussion is like, well, what if we bring in XYZ resourcing? Well, you know, uh, you know, have, have you thought about the, 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 the post-go-live model and who will, who will drive that and how that would look? It's like, right? I, I think asking questions um, is, is a nice small tactic to getting people to think about some of these things so it doesn't feel forceful. Yeah. But uh, but it moves it moves the dialogue forward. I love that point. That's a great one. And and so speaking of questions, uh, we're already coming up out of time. So I have one more question that I'd like to ask sure. you before we wrap up. Well, what is the contribution to a project, to a company, to a team um, that you are most proud of over your career? Sure. Yeah. I think as a general rule, Justin, um, what I'm proud of is I, I'm. When I'm in it, I'm truly in it for the for the company and the project, right? Like sometimes there's a lot of unfortunately uh, in 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 the world. It's like, how do I protect myself and this kind of stuff? And for me, even if it means you know I get the hit for whatever reason, I'm comfortable being transparent and saying, you know, this is what should be done. This is what's in the best interest of of this implementation, et cetera. So so I always take pride in that. I, I truly want to do what's in the interest of the organization. And sometimes, depending on what it is, people just don't want to don't want to hear it because maybe it's not, you know, being super sensitive or whatever. Um, so so that's what I would say. I'm, I'm most proud that I, I really look at the best interest and not just the organization, but but the people. Right. I mean, I get I get and going back to sort of where we started with this great resignation even prior to the resignation, if you look at the statistics of how often people are looking for jobs, right? There's so much unhappiness and there's so many things that are made more difficult than they need to be. So I just love even doing a little bit on my part to help minimize some, somebody's anxiety of a change or, or, or even one of the organizations where I would say I got close to the staff members so they can be transparent with me and they shared with me you know, how frustrated they were with prior implementations. And of course, I would dig into what happened, right? So for, for them to be heard by me, and then for me to do my part to say, well, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Just be transparent, right? I'm one individual. I can have some influence, but I can't have influence over everything. Sometimes I can say, let's zig and, and leadership still wants to zag and that's their prerogative, right? But I just like doing my part in general at any organization to really honestly look at what's in the best interest of the, of the employees and then what's in the best interest of the organization. And I think I've, I, I've done some of that. And, and sometimes, 
you know, they've listened and sometimes they haven't. And, and usually if you're not listening to change management and, and you haven't done something, you're probably going to regret it. And, and I've seen that as well, right? Because sometimes, unfortunately, in, in, in the corporate world, levels matter, right? So, so uh, you know, someone at a higher level may say, no, let's not do that. It's like, this guy's just a manager, right? And the voice is kind of smaller in some ways, but they don't see what I see because I have this window from an OCM perspective. It's like, I see exactly what's going to happen. I'm trying to convey it. I know I'm just a manager maybe, but I'm trying to convey this. So I, so I think it's you know, important for, for leaders as well to truly listen. And if they don't agree, maybe there's a, there's a good dialogue about it. But um, anyway, that, that, hopefully that answers the question. Well, and I think that it's a great way to kind of wrap this up and uh, tie it up, which is going back to the beginning of communication and storytelling, authenticity, those are all of the things that are required and, you know, making sure that change management isn't just uh, a checkbox, you know, added to a project plan, but that it actually becomes a part of the culture. And, and I'll tell you, when we set off on this journey to, to start Frontline Innovators podcast, we, we didn't intend for it to necessarily be uh, an entire conversation around change management, but I've learned, uh, I think I'm the, the um, most uh, educated uh, learner from this podcast as, as getting to be one of the uh, hosts here, that change management is not just an add-on. It can't just be a bolt-on. It needs to become a, a part of the way that the organization and the teams mm -hmm. think, and it needs to be uh, become a part of the culture. And so uh, I will tell you, conversations like the one I've had today have helped me a lot. Uh, I believe it's it's helping the audience. I get text messages from people that I know in the audience uh, that are listening that uh, that tell me that they're learning some things from this. And I, I think that's uh, the most rewarding thing for all of us. So let's keep that conversation going. I do need to wrap the podcast up. We're a little bit beyond our time. But Sam Bell, thank you so very much for, for taking the time to visit with us today and uh, to share some of your wisdom with our audience. Thank you as well, Justin. Thank you very much. Excellent. And to our audience, we do need to wrap it up there, but I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are out there innovating on the front lines. Reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And we're always looking for new guests on the show. So if you, the audience, or you, Sam Vell, know uh, someone out there that's innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story or their story. Uh, we'd love to have them as a guest on the show. Thanks again, Sam Vell. It was great to meet you and I appreciate you spending the time with us today.